invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 60 and the verses that we are going to be considering tonight are Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 3. There are a couple of uh, contexts that are good to to mention Uh, before we read the verses that we're going to consider. One is that as Pastor Rob has explained as we've gone along in this series We are following the passages from the Messiah that are from from the book of Isaiah. And there is a a wonderful uh, order to those, uh, the way in which the words to that uh, music was set. And so you have then uh, an announcement of the coming of the Messiah spread throughout Uh, the book of Isaiah, and uh, we come tonight to uh, chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. In the the, uh, book of Isaiah, it's helpful for us to remember that chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, follow chapter 59, and uh, chapter 59 describes uh, the state of the people of God at, uh, to whom uh, Isaiah is addressing the words that we are going to consider tonight. And, and it wasn't a good state. Um, if if uh, we look at chapter 59, the first few verses, you find these words, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And the chapter goes on to describe the sin of Israel against God in ways in which that the Apostle Paul will use in the book of Romans when he describes the condition of all men and their sin. And it's a very dark picture of the effects of sin and the effects of sin on our relationship with the Lord. When we sin against him, it creates uh, that uh, separation between us and God. And and Israel is, in a sense, uh, under the state of, of condemnation. Uh, in her exile, how will she be delivered from exile? Not only exile physically into Babylon, but her exile from uh, the Lord. Uh, how will she be brought back to the Lord? And that's what's made known. Uh, also in chapter 49, uh, verse 12, here we find the prophet Isaiah saying, I'm sorry, 59, verse 12, Uh, For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. And so Israel had turned away from following God. What a description of not just Israel, but all of us. And we have turned away from the Lord. And so the Lord is going to take action. And then uh, we find that uh, at the end, farther on in in chapter 59, these words, uh, verse 
uh, uh, 15, the second part of verse 15, the Lord saw it and is displeased, it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondering and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And then we have the description in verse 17 of putting on the the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And uh, then uh, we read of the way in which the Lord is going to send a redeemer to those that fear him. Verse 19 And so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Remember, when we first started our series, we talked about the prophecy in Isaiah referring to the making of the ways uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the unlevel roadway, making it level and making the crooked straight and the need for repentance. And so here in verse 20 of 59, uh, those who turn from transgression, those who turn in repentance to the Lord, to them a redeemer will come. A redeemer will come to Zion. And that brings us then to chapter 60. And the words that are our text tonight, verses 1 through 3, hear the word of God, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us join once again in prayer. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your word and for the way in which you revealed to your people in ancient times of how it would be that you would ascend a mighty deliverer And, oh God, we pray that you would help us to see this deliverer. Help us who know ourselves to be sinners, know ourselves to be without hope apart from your grace and mercy. Lord, we do pray that we might see the Savior and that your glory would shine in him upon us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like for us to consider these words that we have just read under three headings. And uh, the, the headings are as follows. First of all, glory is announced to Zion. Your glory has come. Glory is announced to Zion. Secondly, we will see that the glory of God distinguishes the people, of, the people of his covenant from the people of the world. It is a distinguishing glory. And then thirdly, we will see that glory is a transformational glory. 
glory uh, scene is, uh, is a glory that makes not, uh, it, it reveals itself in such a way that the people of God, when they are exposed to the glory of the Messiah, they themselves will become radiant. That, in effect, is going to have on others. And uh, as we saw this morning, of the, uh, we heard this morning about the church being, uh, uh, the Zion being one who is commissioned to go and to tell the good news, to speak the good news. So in the text that we have today, we have a picture of Zion being the recipient of glory and then embodying that glory being coming radiant even in themselves and that having a transformative effect not only upon they, they themselves as individual believers and as Zion as a church, but upon the world. It spills out in such a way that they are a magnet and the world finds itself drawn to them. And this is an amazing contrast between the condition of Zion in her present state. And so I would say, and I would like to uh, say this to any of you who are here today, uh, we are not living in ancient times, we are living uh, far removed geographically. Uh, most of us, if not all, are coming from the nations. We are those who have found our way to Zion. But we have found our way to Zion because we have felt ourselves to be in need. The prodigal son. Do you know and feel within your own self a poverty of spirit, a need for God to do that in you which you find yourself unable to accomplish? Do you have a sense of your own sin and the separation that it does cause between you and God? And a barrier that exists between the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and your own very innermost soul. The words that we are, that we are going to consider tonight are addressed to those who are forlorn who are downcast, who are in a state of feeling as though they themselves are experiencing alienation from God. And to you these words are addressed to give hope. And these words come to you, arise, arise, the Lord says, shine. It is as though the Lord commands you to do something that you know you can't do. You don't have any ability. You don't have anything. And in, if anything, if you know yourself before a holy God, you, you feel your utter inability. And yet the command is to you to arise. To arise from your despondency. Arise from your despair. Why? Because God loves you and he has sent his own son. And he has revealed his glory. And so we want to see, first of all, this announcement 
that glory has come, that the God of creation, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who revealed his glory in ancient times to the people of Israel as they led them, uh, as, he, as the Lord Jesus led them from their bondage in Egypt with the glory cloud leading the way, that was the glory of God revealed to them. It was revealed to Israel, and it was the Lord that was revealed under those types and shadows to them. It is the same glory that was manifested when the, when the, the, the presence of God came upon the tabernacle, upon the Holy of Holies, when it was built, and upon the temple when Solomon built the temple. It is the same glory that was revealed to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel longed for the knowledge of the glory of God. And unfortunately, uh, the people of Israel internalized this in, in, in a socio-political sense, in the sense that they would receive the glory of God that would distinguish them from the nations and become uh, dominant over the nations and rule over the nations, and the Lord would cast off their overrulers, the Romans. And they didn't see that this was uh, something the glory of God could be possibly revealed in any other way than, than in, in this world's uh, sense of military might and glory of a royal kingdom. Another, another David. Another Solomon is what they longed for. And what did God send to them? He sent his glory. But how is that glory revealed? It is a glory that was revealed in the birth of the one who is born the Savior, who was born as a child, born, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the, the Son of God taking upon himself uh, flesh, and, and as sinlessly obeying the word of the, the, the commandments of his father and going in a determined way to the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. This, the people of Israel, were not thinking about. It is not a suffering savior that they were looking for. They were looking for a triumphant one. But here... The glory of the, of the Messiah is revealed as having shine has come. Your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Is this not the glory spoken of by Malachi when he says that the son of righteousness would come with healing in his wings? And is not the Lord Jesus Christ described in the book of Revelation as one who in his resurrected glory, is like, his face shone like the sun in full strength. Is this not the glory that was announced at the coming of the birth of Christ when, when it was announced to the shepherds and glory shone and voices of choirs from heaven uh, saying uh, glory to God in the highest. And is this not the light that we read of even this morning in the words of Zechariah when he, uh, in, his, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, when he said, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Is this not, is this light, is this glory that has come, is this not the Lord Jesus Christ who as a babe and as in in his earthly ministry, that glory was veiled. It, It was manifested at particular times, but the glory was for the most part veiled. You think of the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw the glory of Christ. But uh, is, this is the glory that was given to Christ in his resurrection. This is the glory that was given to Christ in his ascension and is the glory that he now bears in heaven. And it is that glory that now shines upon the earth. It is the glory of the resurrected Christ the same resurrected Christ that appeared to the Apostle Paul when uh, Paul was on the road to Damascus. And uh, it says that the, uh, that the uh, a bright light appeared from heaven, shone or shining all around Paul. Paul falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord then sends Saul And Saul becomes Paul. He becomes the great messenger of the glory of the gospel, the glory of Christ. He becomes the one who carries this tidings of this glory that has come. The birth of Jesus Christ is the birth of the all-glorious God in our flesh. This is what is described in John chapter 1. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles. The book of, uh, in the Gospel of John, really, this is, this is the, uh, John's purpose in the early verses of, of, of John's Gospel is to say that um, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. What was John's ministry? It was to bear witness of the light that shines in the darkness. He was not the light, but he came and bore witness about that light. Now, don't you think that John has Isaiah in mind? Isaiah, who says, your light has come. John the Baptist is here saying that He is the true light, the true light that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of flesh and blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This light, this eternal word, 
the one who is the life and the light of men, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and the glory of God was in him. And we have seen his glory, his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so it is then that I think what John is doing in chapter 1, he's going back to Isaiah and he's saying, you want to know where to find light. You want to know where to find glory. Right here. Right here. The Lord Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, laid in a manger stall, walking among men, seen to be a man by those to whom he spoke and yet known as the one who is the embodiment of the glory of God. And in his resurrected state, he now shines upon all the world. Your glory is coming. So what I would say to you who are despondent, you who feel yourself to be separated from the Lord God, God has shined his light upon you. God has shined his glory upon you. This is wonderful good news. It is the grace of God to an undeserving world. It is the grace of God to you and to me who deserve none of this. And yet he has accomplished our redemption. The second thing we notice is found in verse 2. And that is that the glory of God is that is a distinguishing glory. Notice verse 2. For behold... Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. And uh, now, now this darkness that covers the earth and thick darkness the people, this has been described in chapter 59. Darkness indicates ignorance. It indicates moral depravity. It indicates uh, being uh, in a state of alienation and separation from God. This darkness, it says, is thick darkness, and it covers all the people. This is the state of the world. The world is covered with a thick blanket of darkness. It is without a word, without the revelation of God, it is in darkness it is under the curse of sin and death and all of the miseries that come with this. And it is subject to all of the, the conditions described in chapter 59, which are conditions that are, are, are awful. Look with me at verse 9 of chapter 59. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Boy, does that not describe your feeling after every time somebody comes along 
and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, thinks, uh, you, you get the idea that they're going to fix all of the problems in the world. You hope for light, you hope for justice, you hope for righteousness, and corruption goes on and on and on. We walk in gloom, we grope for the wall like the blind, we grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. Does that not remind you of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1? You who are dead in your sins and transgressions, walking according to the ways of this world, the ways of this world are characterized by a rule of Satan and a thick darkness of the ignorance of God that covers and envelopes all men. And so this world then is in a state of darkness. But what does God say about his people? Verse 2 again, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. Some of the other translations, I think, uh, bring out the emphasis on the word you a little more. And, and uh, that is the emphasis in the verse. There is a contrast being drawn between those who dwell in thick darkness and are covered with gloom, who stumble at noontime and walk as those who grope in ignorance, there is a contrast between the world in that condition and those who, upon whom the Lord has sent his loving kindness and his grace. He says, upon you, you are Zion, you are Jerusalem, you are the people of the covenant. Upon you the light has shone. What a privilege. What a wonderful sense of privilege we should have. If you have been brought up and you have come within the sound of the Word of God and you have been given parents who teach you the Word of God or you have friends who have shared the Word of God, it is upon you that the Lord has given this favor, this favor of light, this favor of knowing him and knowing him not as one who is intent upon your destruction, but who has sent his word and his only son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Upon Zion the Lord's sights are set. And uh, while historically we can think of this as Israel in exile, we can think of this as the physical descendants of Abraham having been dispersed and sent out of their land because of the judgment of God upon Jerusalem, upon Judah, upon the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel is dispersed. Yet I think here we need to think of Zion as more inclusive. 
Zion includes not only those who are physical descendants of Abraham who were dispersed among the nations. Zion includes all those who are, in a sense, proselytes who find their way to Jerusalem, who find their way in pilgrimage to Zion, which we're going to see in just a minute. So this is what makes Zion different. The glory of the Lord shines on her and the Lord makes her radiant. The Lord makes her radiant. And that's what we want to see uh, thirdly. Glory is transformative and it is attractive. Uh, if you have repented of your sins and you have come to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, if you have come to know Jesus Christ, that glory that you have been exposed to, just like Moses when he was up in the mount. Remember when he came down, his face uh, was uh, aglow. And uh, just as Moses' face was aglow because he had been in the very presence of God, so if you are exposed and you are in the presence of a holy God, you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are united to him by faith, his glory has a transformative effect upon all who are united to him. The nations are drawn by the glory of God that is seen in Zion. Notice verse 3. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Remember the verse these verses started with, Arise! Words of resurrection, words of power. It is as though in our unconverted state, that is what uh, God does. He raises the dead. He says, arise. You who are dead in sin, you who are dead in ignorance, don't know God. And God commands. God commands. And at his command, just like Lazarus, at the command of Christ, got up and came out of the tomb. So at his command, everyone who is a member of Zion, everyone who is one of his, is raised from spiritual death and given life. And so this, this word is a word of power. Arise and Kings are going to see the brightness of that rising, the rising that God performs, that transformation that God does, giving life to those who are dead, is one that will change you and make you different. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 3.18 this way, we all beholding the glory of of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And then he says, he adds this, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is, this is the work of the Messiah. He, he reveals his glory and he pours out his Spirit 
The Spirit indwells. The Spirit of Christ indwells in such a way that we are so united to him by his Spirit that Paul can say, it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so this message of the gospel is a transforming message. It brings light to a dark world, and it is the light of the gospel. How does Paul refer to the gospel? He describes it this way. The gospel is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why do, why do we say so often, especially at this season, we speak about the, 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 our task as a, as, as a church, our task as believers is to be all about Christ because what Paul says is that the light of the gospel is the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And it is that message that awakens men. It is that message about the resurrected, the, 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 the Savior who died on the cross for sin, the Savior who was buried, the Savior who was raised. It is that message that, that awakens the dead. It is that message that God uses in his own way and means to bring life to those who are dead. And again, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul puts it this way. Let the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, referring to the first creation, has now in a new creation, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The one thing you can say about a Christian is a Christian is someone who has come to know the glory of God. The glory of God has shone on him. Well, how is the glory of God shown on him? In the face of Jesus Christ. And so don't you find yourself drawn? Don't you find in your own heart that deep desire to see more of the face of Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We do it in his word. We do it as we, as we read and hear and are exposed to the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ in his word. And so it has a transformative effect. Here you have, you have uh, 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 those who formerly lived in, in sin and darkness living lives that are completely apart from God, living in sexual immorality, stealing, lying, using vile and abusive speech, showing hatred toward others. All of this behavior is now grieved for, is now repented of and sorrowed for, and what has taken the place of all of that behavior is a sincere desire to please God in all that you say and do. This is a life. This is a life that shows forth the work of God in you. And that's the thing. The, what's described here is not only a glory that shines on them, but it's a the effect of that glory in causing them to shine. And what is that 
What is Zion's shining? It's the transformation where now we seek to be those who have show the kindness and the love and the grace that has been shown to us, to others. It is now the case that love characterizes our attitude toward others. Patience, humility, and long-suffering. These qualities are not explained naturally. They are only the result of the power of the Spirit. And so as a result, what happens? Well, nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. It is an amazing thing to consider that the gospel, as it was made known throughout the Roman Empire, through the teaching of the apostles, as they went out and preached, was a gospel that transformed men and women, and that, that going out, and that transforming uh, uh, that is take, took place then is a process that is still going on today. And it is a remarkable thing to consider that that which draws the nations, that which draws your friends and your neighbors, and we pray that uh, that which draws those who heard carols this afternoon and uh, had uh, things said to them uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, that that which draws them is the glory of God shining in the lives of his people, the glory of God reflected in the character of his people as an attractiveness and a winsomeness that draws others to Zion. And that's what is described here. The nation shall come to your light the kings to the brightness of your rising. I just want to close by uh, referring to, uh, I, you know, it, it's an amazing thing. What, what is described in Isaiah, I really do believe that the Apostle Paul saw himself as carrying out this work that was described in Isaiah. And when Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. That's what, what, what you were. We all lived among them in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But here's that most wonderful word, the word but. The word but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And what did he do? He raised you up together with him. He raised up, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so Christ says to you, arise, arise. Set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on the things pertaining to the glory of God. 
And why did God do all of this, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift. It is the gift of God. When, uh, when Abraham was taking his son Isaac up the mount, because he had been commanded to sacrifice him at the mount that he had, that would be revealed to him. Isaac asked him, we have the wood, we have the fire. Where is the sacrifice? Abraham's answer to Isaac was, God will provide. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. What we celebrate at this season is God's gift of salvation, which is God's gift of Christ. May we all, may we all, have that so to us that we would be those who arise from the dust of death to the very heavenly places where Christ is. May we rise with him both spiritually now and in the ages to come. Let us pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words of power that were spoken to Israel so long ago. Oh Lord, may it be that that resurrection word would take root even in our own hearts and that we would feel ourselves even drawn by your glory, drawn to follow Jesus. Would you do that in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our final uh, hymn tonight is the song of Zechariah uh, 9.1.